All right, Revelation chapter number 14. You recall last week we closed by studying about the false prophet and the Antichrist and the devil having his heyday. Well, thank the Lord for chapter 14 because now we see a completely different uh, effects here. In chapter 14, Christ is clearly in control, as he always is. And um, if you notice, I have just one sheet of notes tonight. But don't get excited. It's not going to be short. In fact, I'm have a hard time finishing because we have seven parts in this little chapter that we want to cover. So let's begin by looking in verses 1 through 5. We see the first section in the Lamb with the 144,000 on the holy mount, Mount Zion, there in Jerusalem. Verses 1 through 5. And I looked, and lo, a Lamb stood on the Mount of Zion, and with him an 144,000, having his Father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great trumpet. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung a new song, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from earth. Uh, These are they which are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Uh, These are they which uh, follow the Lamb wheresoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, uh, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now let's go back over this so we can pick out some uh, interesting points. First of all, uh, you know that the Lamb, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, This is Christ, and he's there on Mount Zion. Some believe this is a a heavenly scene. It's not. This is an earthly scene, and the time of this scene is at the close of the tribulation period. Uh, this is at the very end, at the beginning, really, right at the millennial reign. And so you'll know the, the book of Revelation time wise jumps around, and that confuses some people. So you have to be keen to pick up on little things to know the time. And it says, and with him, 144,000, having the Father's name written in their foreheads. Now, you remember when we were in chapter 7, we studied about the 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. These are all Jewish. They're all men, regardless of the fact of them being referred to as virgins. We use virgin in relation to female only, but in biblical sense, it can be male or female. 
And uh, it's not speaking of so much of a physical identity as a spiritual identity in the sense of the, uh, they were uh, without fornication. In other words, worshiping any other gods. They were truthful to the Lord and pure in their ways. Now, they heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters. Notice, <clears throat> they hear this from heaven, for they are on earth, but they hear this in heaven. I don't know, uh, and I hate to even mention this cult's name, they're very popular around here, but I, I, I want to use it as an illustration anyhow, because many people have heard the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Uh, it's a choir of, I don't know, 800, 900, maybe somewhere like that. That doesn't have hold a candle to this choir. This is a choir of 144,000 men. Now, I like ladies singing, believe me. Uh, there's a sweetness about a lady's voice that men could never do, and they add to a choir or spatial music. But this is a man's choir. 144,000 there on Mount Zion. Think of it. That great choir singing a song that only they knew. They, could, they were the only ones who could know the, 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 the words of the song. Nobody else could learn it. We remember back in chapter 5 where we saw uh, the um, uh, 24 elders singing. And there was a great singing there where they sang along, or excuse me, alone in that choir. This choir is made up of the 144,000 Jews uh, who uh, were the witnesses for God during the tribulation. And they sang, as it were, a new song. No one had ever sang it before. Verse 4, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Uh, uh, virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, wheresoever he goeth, these were redeemed from among men. You remember they started back in the tribulation being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. They were the first fruits in the tribulation. The tribulation began with the all lost. The saved were taken out at the rapture in chapter 4. We read about that. Only lost people were left on the earth. But God raised up a, a, a band of missionaries, Jewish missionaries, who went throughout all the world. And we read in chapter 7 how that the results of their ministry was that there were multitudes of people saved from every language and every tongue. Don't ever let anybody tell you that nobody is saved during the tribulation. Because in that seven-year time per capita, per time, I don't suppose there's been a greater time of revival. Uh, and yet, with all the suffering and torment that was going on. But you know, in the early church, the church grew best when it was times of persecution. We've got it too easy today. And that's what's wrong with our churches today. We've got it too easy. Christians have it too easy. 
Back when there was real persecution, the church grew faster. It grew during the tribulation period uh, from the preaching of these 144,000. And in their mouth, it says in verse 5, was no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Uh, this is just saying that they had no um, heresy in their teachings. They were good Bible teachers. They were giving the word of God pure and simple uh, that others could hear. Now, plus these 144,000 missionaries, don't forget, we've studied about the, 12, uh, about the two witnesses in Jerusalem and uh, we've already covered out. So they were also witnesses, but their ministry was only in Jerusalem and theirs only lasted the first half of the tribulation, and then they died, were killed in the streets, and then raised by God and taken back to heaven. These missionaries go throughout the tribulation. And uh, by the way, it gives you a good testimony of the faithfulness of God and the protective care he gives his people. Uh, because he said he put his seal, his mark on them, and nobody could take their life. That nothing the uh, Antichrist could ever do that would ever hinder their ministry. And that's why they were, of course, so fruitful. Now we go on to the second uh, little section here, and that is the angel with the everlasting gospel. And this is in verses 6 and 7. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and, the worship, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now this message is preached during the tribulation period, and uh, most likely during the last half of the tribulation period when the Antichrist was so wicked and so domineering in his control. Uh, you know, before the age we live in today, the age of grace, uh, where we have the freedom to preach the gospel and we have the uh, uh, gospel of the grace of God that whosoever will can be saved. In the Old Testament, Angels were used of God sometimes to take his message. We know uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, the angel was, angels were effective there and in, in, in working there. But here, notice again, another angel. Uh, and angels are very prominent in these, in these uh, verses of chapter number 14. He's flying in the midst of heaven. He is broadcasting through the airs, not the airways, but the air. And he's taking the message to every person around the world. They'll be without excuse. This is God's last opportunity, his last chance of getting people to, to turn to him and away from the Antichrist. And uh, yet we know that uh, there wasn't a whole lot that we conceive that benefited from this message, which they could have all been saved, 
just like today. God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. There's no reason anybody be lost and go to hell, yet we know most people are. That's a shame. But there, he's preaching the message, and his message is to fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. The Antichrist, uh, his, his message, of course, is of lies. Nothing but lies. He's, he's empowered by the devil and he's the father of all lies. And so there we have the angel with the everlasting gospel. Now in verse 8, we see the prophecy of the coming fall of Babylon. Notice it. And verse 8, And there followed another gospel, another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Babylon uh, is very prominent in history. You read the book of Genesis, and by the way, the book of Genesis and the, and the book of Revelation has a lot uh, in common, back and forth, and, and uh, perhaps at the close of this study we'll give you uh, something I've read out of a book uh, uh, that uh, I'll give it, I'll pass it on to you, that gives you many of the things about uh, Genesis and, and the book of Revelation. But here, uh, this Babylon, this is, I believe, the Babylon that you read about in the book of Genesis, chapter 10 and verse 11. Its founder was Nimrod. Uh, it was a great city and became a great power, a great uh, 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 world power. And it, it built a tower, you remember, a tower that they say was in the heaven. What it meant, to, and when you studied that out, even they weren't dumb enough to think they could build a tower to walk all the way up into the third heaven. Uh, they knew that wasn't possible. What they're talking about there, they were star worshipers, stargazers. We still have them today. Uh, and, and they would go up there and they would worship the heavenly bodies and they uh, did studies on that. And that was their religion. Uh, they didn't have religions before then. Uh, their religion was worshiping God, but they didn't want to do that. So they built their own city. They, God said to scatter. No, they want to get together. They built the great city of Babylon and built the tower and it says here that it is, notice it says, uh, verse 8, and, and, follow, uh, and followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That's repeated. Some, some think that that's just repeated for emphasis, uh, to make it more, uh, um, you know, dominant and make it stick in your mind better. I think it's a little more than that. I think it's, it's fallen, it's fallen, because Babylon's founding was two things. It was a nation and it was a religion. It was the first of all religions. That, that is, religion, as you know, is man-made. Uh, God never made religion. Uh, the, the world has religion. Man has religion. 
That's man's efforts trying to get up to God one way or another, whether it be Hindus, uh, uh, Buddhists, uh, Muslims, uh, Mormons, uh, Roman Catholics. I don't care what it is. It's a religion, and all religion is based on works. You can mark it down. This was a religion that they founded, and, it, and it's why that they were destroyed. They were the, the mother of all religions. You read about the ancient Babylon, and I'm not talking about Nebuchadnezzar's day, was 600 B.C. This founding was about 2000 B.C. This is what we call Old Babylon. And Old Babylon uh, had, a, had a, a tremendous history. Its founding was by Nimrod, and he had a wife who was a real squirrely person. I mean, she, she believed, she believed, now get this, she, she, that she had a, here's how she thought she came into being, that she was an egg that was laid in the Euphrates River and she hatched out and there she was. And all of her beauty and wisdom and that, and she had a son, and we're not going to get into this because I know I've got, to cover the whole chapter, but you ought to study it. There's a great book out on it, and I see it's in reprint now. I had uh, some of the original printing was back in uh, 1880, something, I don't know. The Two Babylons uh, is the name of it. You look it up, Two Babylons. That's a good study. It's a, it's a um, uh, not an easy read, but it's a very studious read that would do you much good. Uh, and learning about this ancient Babylon in history, secular history that, that perhaps you don't know. And uh, now we move on uh, from Babylon, the fall of Babylon, to the doom of the worshipers of the beast. And that's in verses 9 through 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, I am man, if any man worship the beast in his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture. And that's talking about without any grace, without any mixture of grace, just pure wrath of God into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Let's go over this a little bit. Anybody, according to the scriptures here, Anybody during the tribulation that receives the mark of the beast in his forehead or in his hand will not be saved. They're, they're beyond what you say, beyond redemption. We don't know that today because whosoever will may come, as I said. And there's nobody that cannot be saved today if they would call upon God. For God is not willing, again, that anybody should perish, but all should come to repentance and so uh, that's not today. But this is not today. The age of grace is finished. The church is gone. This is the tribulation here on earth. 
but in a time different than our time. This is the conclusion of that fifth dispensation of the law. That's why the Jews are the prevalent persons here and not the Gentiles. The Gentiles are not in control here. The de- uh, they're in control with the Antichrist, but I'm as far as the people of God are the Jewish people. That's why their witnesses were Jews. That's why the two witnesses were Jews. This is a Jewish economy here. Now, I want you to see something here. The, they, they, uh, the third angel followed, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. Now notice, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest uh, day nor night nor who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receives the mark of his name. Here we have clearly a teaching that these people are going to end up in hell. Now, uh, people don't like to hear that today. They, don't, they wouldn't like to hear Jesus either because he was the one who spoke more on hell than any other character in the New Testament. He mentions it more than any of them. And, it, and here he's telling us that hell is a certainty for those who die without Christ those who died during that tribulation period, who've committed that unpardonable sin, you might say, and they received the mark of the beast either in their forehead or in their hand, uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, they are doomed, and their place of doom is an eternal hell. Uh, the pastor mentioned in his sermon uh, Sunday night or Sunday morning, I, I don't know which I was... I slept through part of one of them. I don't know. No, I didn't, no, I didn't believe me. But, but in one of his messages, he, he mentioned about, uh, about hell and about the torments of hell and, and the longevity of hell. There's no end to it. And they have no rest there. There's no rest. The, the child of God, uh, they have it rough during this time. And if they don't receive the mark of that beast, uh, they're sure enough probably going to die a martyr's death and perhaps instantly, just as soon as they refuse it, they're put out of their misery. And that's what it is. They're put out of their misery because death is no problem for the Christian. No problem. Whenever I do funerals, and I don't do them anymore, but when I did do funerals, I'm not saying I wouldn't do a funeral. I'm just saying I don't do them now. But when I did do them, oftentimes I referred to it as a graduation service. It's not a time of mourning, folks. Not if that person's saved. And if they're lost, there's nothing you can do for them. You can preach to those who are there, those who are saved and those who are not saved, but you can't help the dead. They're, they're, they're forever gone. These people here, whenever they, they passed, they had no rest. They went right into hell 
and there where they'll spend all their eternity. And by the way, this, this speaking of this judgment in that here, this is not the white throne judgment. Uh, that takes place at the end of the millennial reign of Christ, which is another thousand years from this time. People talk about global warming and going to burn the earth up. and uh, Don't listen. If they just would study their Bible, they'd quit talking about that foolishness. A man didn't make this world, and man cannot destroy this world. Uh, God will destroy those who try to destroy it. You notice on the news now, all that uh, windmills out in the Atlantic, canceling all that. Yeah, the government just threw those billions of dollars of your tax money away. It's gone. You lost it. China made the money off the, the merchandise, and, and it's not working. They know it's not going to work, and they're canceling it one right after another. If you haven't heard it, you will. And, 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 and man's so foolish. Man is so foolish. I, I don't want to get into that. Okay, let, let's go on. Uh, let's look at verses 12 and 13 and see the blessing of the saints. And we need something good. Here is the patience of the saints. Uh, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. What a blessed thing to tell. That this, this chapter 14 is different than any other chapter in Revelation because it gives you a bunch of little tibbets, I call them. There, there are seven different little messages here. It started with that message of the 144,000 and then the gospel uh, was preached by the angel and, and then we uh, went on and, and went to one step to another and now we're seeing here uh, the patience of the saints. Patience is a, a word that could mean endurance. Uh, the endurance of the saints. Uh, they have, saints today have to endure a lot. If you're a true Christian today and have a Christian testimony, you're looked at as a nut. I mean, this world thinks you're just a little bit squirrely, and, and that's just what they think about you. But the Bible says you're to be a peculiar person. That's what you are. You're kind of peculiar to this world. Uh, you, you're not going to fit in. If you do something wrong, you better check out your testimony. Uh, but the... Uh, they, they, their, their endurance of the saints. Uh, uh, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. If you have the, the, uh, the word of God, the commandments of God, and you hold true to the word of God, people laugh at you. Oh, that book, you can't believe that. I mean, they haven't even read it. I mean, uh, I mean, 99% of the ones that say that have never even read the Bible. And, and so how could they even possibly give an opinion? Uh, but they deny the Word of God to be true. Uh, they do not know of the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith that we have uh, through Christ. And, uh, but God says you're blessed. 
If you hold the scriptures true, don't you listen to the world. You be proud of it. Uh, your faith in Christ, don't be ashamed of it. And, and, and when you hear the, from heaven, the angel saying, uh, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. For henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. He said, don't, you, don't doubt it for a minute. Don't doubt it for a minute. For henceforth, ye, say, yea, saith the Spirit, that uh, they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Uh, a lot of people get tied up with that word works. But you have to get it in the right perspective. You don't work to be saved. But if you're saved, you should work. You know? And, and by the way, when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and every Christian will stand there, you will be judged according to your works. And you'll receive crowns or you'll lose crowns. And by the way, that judgment seat of Christ, that's, uh, that may be a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, it's, it's, it's really more like an awards banquet. Do you know that? You ever been to an awards banquet? Nobody gets judged or criticized or kicked for doing something wrong. No, but they recognize the performers that do good. And they are rewarded. And that's what the judgment seat of Christ is. It's an award meeting. It's a, an award conference. And uh, your works do follow you. And it will determine whether you have crowns to lay at the master's feet. You say, well, why would you, if I, if I, earn, if I work and earn those rewards, those crowns, why would I? Because they're not really yours. Because as a Christian, you know that it, you can't do anything good. In me dwelleth no good thing. It's only what God does in me. As a Christian, you have the privilege of surrendering your life to Christ and letting Him work through you. And by the way, it's, it's not by your... Um, master of all the languages or lessons... It, it's the matter, of, and I've said this and say this for year after year now. The secret of the Christian life is just this. Amen. You know how you were saved? All to Jesus I surrender. I, I can't save myself, and I can't do work for God by myself. The only thing I can do is allow the Spirit of God work through me. So the Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit. And that means to be controlled by the Spirit of God. To walk in the Spirit. To not grieve the Spirit, but to walk in the Spirit. And those works that He does through you, through your surrender to Him, will be recognized and it will be followed, and you will be rewarded for them. Now we go on, and we go... i got to turn the page, or did I? No, I didn't. Uh, we, we go to the judgment of the Son of Man, 
and that's verses 14 through 16. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one set, like unto the Son of Man. Now, you know that's Christ, right? You should know. Luke was the one that presented to him, or to us, Christ as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Luke 19.10, he came to seek and to save them which are lost. That's what, what he tells us. Uh, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. How many of you all know what a sickle is? Three or four? I've used a sickle. I had a sickle that my, my wife gave it to my daughter because it belonged to her daddy. And I got it when he died and I used it and she took it and gave it away. And I could use one today. A sickle is a very good instrument to harvest. But it's not like a sigh. Now, you know what a sigh is? That's a sickle on a long stick. <laughs> but it's got a big blade and, and two-handled thing like this. But a sickle is a one-hand job. And you take the grain and you cut it. It's a, it's a sickle. And it's used for harvesting. And it says here he's having a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. Not just any sickle, but a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud. He tells Christ to thrust and he doesn't really tell him. This is a request. This is a, this is a uh, request of what he knows he wants to do or he said he's going to do. Tr thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for, the, uh, for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. This is the harvest this is the judgment of God upon the nations at the end of the tribulation period. You read it in Matthew chapter 25, uh, and it's very clearly there, the reaping. Uh, and uh, it's the, uh, in the um, parable uh, over in Matthew chapter number 13. You read in uh, the, uh, the parable in verses um, uh, 36 through 43, of the uh, sower and the reaper, and they reaping with the sickles and gathering, the angels gathering. We're not to do that today ourselves, you know. You say, well, uh, I know that one's saved and that one's not saved. You don't know anything. You'd be surprised. God knows, and he sends his angels to reap. They'll know, but you don't know and I don't know. You don't even know your own heart. How can you tell what another person's heart's like? Uh, no way. Here the, uh, and I looked and behold, he saw the Son of Man. That's John. He saw the sharp sickle, the time of harvest. He saw it coming. And, uh, and it, and it was finished. In verse 15, the harvest of the earth is ripe. 
is ripe, it seems to be, uh, imply that the, the judgment is overdue. And that again just speaks of the long-suffering of God. God is patient, more patient than we are. Yeah, I mean, the way we are today, oh boy, we have no patience at all. But now let's, let's close it with our last section here in, verse, in verses 17 through 20. We see the angel with the sharp sickle. Now you see the angel with the sharp sickle. And that begins in verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar which had power uh, over fire and cried with a loud cry to him that uh, had the sharp sickle saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. Now it's talking about a different harvest, you know, a different kind. The other was wheat, and now it's, it's uh, uh, grapes, fruit of the vine. And the angel thrust in his sickle in the, uh, into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. Now that's important that you notice what that is. The vine of the earth. In uh, John 15, you have the divine where Christ compares himself as, as the divine and the branches and that how we're to be produced and God prunes and, and makes us more productive in our life in this age in which we live. And, and there it's the vine of God. Here it's the vine of the earth. This is Satan's imitation. Satan always imitates. And Satan, you know, he, gets a, he, he has a vineyard out there that the grapes look fantastic. It's like those that you go to the grocery store. And I told my wife, I asked her today when she went to Winco, I said, see if they have any grapes, but take one, wipe it off and taste it. Man, I bought more grapes in those gro grocery stores that you couldn't even feed to the chickens. I mean, I mean, they look good. And I've gotten good grapes here before, but I mean, some of them, they're so sour or bitter. I mean, uh, you can't eat them. That's, that's, here's, this is the devil's grapes. They look good. They look fine. And he's comparing this to the, the final battle in Armageddon where you have the, uh, the battle of Armageddon. And uh, that, that battle is more than just a one battle. It's a, like a campaign that really, I believe, lasts throughout the last half of that tribulation. Uh, there's going to be all kind of turmoil and the Holy Land, but there's going to be one climatic battle called Armageddon where the blood here talked about. Let's just read the rest of it. And the angel thrust in his sickle uh, into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city and blood came out of the winepress even unto the horse's bridle by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. 
the horse's bridles about two and a half feet, three feet off the ground. And that's what it's saying. The blood in places will run that deep. It says in some of the past battles uh, of, of, the, of the world where you read in the history, uh, the Roman uh, conquerors, uh, they were brutal. And uh, when they killed them in Jerusalem, the blood just ran like a river. And uh, you read some of those historical uh, accounts and, and uh, it's breathtaking. I think of the, our own country uh, in the Civil War. They had some very bad battles. Uh, there was one close to where we lived when I pastored there outside of D.C. in Northern Virginia. Across the Potomac was a town called Antietam. And Antietam had a, a, a spot in the, and there was a terrible battle fought between the Confederates and the Yankees there. And they, they fought in the one area was called the Sunken Road. And they said it, it was just filled with bodies and blood. And uh, I think of some of the terrible battles uh, that we have record of in, in our history and in world history. But there again, that's nothing to compare to this. There's never been a battle like this battle where people have been slaughtered uh, at so great an estate. So let me, because this has been kind of a, a jumped up uh, lesson, let me kind of give you a little uh, survey or conclusion to this. You take this chapter as a whole, uh, and it emphasizes first that the 144,000 of Israel that are seen at the beginning of the Great Tribulation and will be preserved triumphantly through it. I've read some commentaries that say that, uh, that God somehow removed that uh, protection and at the end they died a martyr's death. And this account here is them in glorified body. I don't read that. I don't read that anywhere in the Bible. Uh, they're here singing praises to God and a, and a choir and a song that's, that this world has never heard. 144,000 men's voices. I was speaking a minute ago about the Roman tabernacle and I didn't finish what I wanted to say. I didn't want to talk about them. I was talking about when I pastored in the D.C. area, we had the privilege of going to some very good national meetings of Christians. This one man, and I, I'm forgetful of my old age, forgive me. God knows who he is. Uh, but... Uh, but he had meetings there every year where he would host about 1,500 to 2,000 full-time Christian workers, mainly pastors, but there were some associates in music and youth workers and so forth there also. But there'd be a great number of us there. And he would teach lessons on different principles and characters and uh, good good uh, helps for the ministry, you might call it. It gave a meal. That really brought us in. I mean, anytime you, anytime you give a preacher a meal, he's going to be there, especially if it's chicken. A guy asked me one time, you know what a belt is? I said, yeah, it's something you hold your britches up. He said, no, that's a fence around a chicken graveyard. 
when, when a preacher puts it on, it's a fence around a chicken. But but no, at these meetings, he would he would teach. And one of the things that I remember most of those meetings, and he had some good material, and I should have remembered and kept a lot of that, but I've given it away. But now, <clears throat> the thing I remember most as I think back is the singing. You can just imagine 1,500 men from their heart. No, no musical accompaniment. We sang songs that we knew, not some of this new stuff. Stuff we sing out of song, song books, you know, that we have in churches. Good old Christian songs. And, and we'd sing those songs, and the harmony would just vibrate through that building. I mean, I can still, my mind can still hear those tunes. This, this is nothing. I, th- I read this and I thought, boy, if that was good, what's this going to be like? I mean, we're going to be there. He's going to sing before the elders and the, and the, and the uh, 